Now then, welcome to another social media podcast. I'm Simon Scholes, founder and creative director of Perception Studios, and I help brands and businesses create content that's completely bespoke to them for their social media channels. That really helps them stand out more than just your average piece of content. However, as always, I like to talk to you about social media, what you could be doing for free, and I do keep getting asked the question, why do I do what it is that I do. And I talk about this when I do my keynote talks all the time. And so I thought I would grab one of the ones I did recently for a 4N networking meeting and uh, let you guys have a listen. So here you go. Here's my story and what I try and encourage business owners to start off with doing so they can create content for free. The Social Media Podcast with Simon Scholes. Tips, hints, and great content ideas. All right, then. Uh, let's start it with a question. Um, who in here has got video or done video for their business? So, a fair few of you. Now, I know Just Fans actually works. I know Andros is definitely will do. Um, let's, ask, let's ask Mark. Um, does your video work for your business? Does it bring your business? No, it really does. Actually. Yeah? Um, I fly a lot of Mm-hmm. So you're still sending people to it. Does it draw people in at all? I believe so. I'm, I'm going into analytics, yeah. um, but I believe it's helped with that. We put it on the Facebook page and we put it on like LinkedIn and, and, and obviously it's on the website. But yeah. That's cool. So many people don't put their content out there. Um, and if you don't and you're not getting any business from your video content, it's probably your fault. Well, it is your fault. There's no probably. Yes? I was going to say, when we ask people to do foresight, so we used to say to them, why don't you give me a 60-second promo video, right? Then I can put it on the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. None of them want to do it. It starts to give They're like, no. How crazy is that? Because mm-hmm. it's a chan- well, it's your chance to bloody sell you. I mean, you'd stand up here and do it anyway. So yeah. it's a chance to sell yourself. So, yeah, I want you to think about that. For those of you who have got video and it's maybe not done anything for you, because it is your fault, and I'm going to take you back in time a little bit, um, and I'm going to tell you a a story about a few things that are my fault in my life and how they've led to me being here. So um, we're going to take you back to 1998, and I was an athlete. I was a decathlete, and I was training for the Sydney Olympics. So I was pretty high standard, and... um, I was really focused on this one particular goal. And in athletics, you compete for your club at lots of different events. Um, And I was competing at one called the Northern Athletics League because I'm from Hull. So hopefully you can still understand what I'm actually saying as well because now you know I'm a Yorkshireman. It might be more difficult. So I was at this uh, event and it was complete opposite to today. It was pissing it down something rotten. It was horrible. It was windy. It was wet. It was cold. And I'd done the pole vault, I'd done the hurdles, I'd done javelin, I'd done discus. It had all gone according to plan. Uh, came to the final event of the day before the relays, which was the high jump. And in high jump and in track and field overall, you can change the length of your spikes. So you can change them to the conditions. And in high jump, you can go as long as six millimetres. And I had my spikes in my shoe. And in high jump spikes, you've got six in the front and then you've got four in the heel. And I, I just could not be asked to change all those spikes. It's just a pain in the butt to do it. Um, I'd been walking on concrete. They were worn down to a nub. There was no real spike there. It was just like jumping in a pair of trainers, to be fair. But whatever. So I decided not to change my spikes. Did the first few heights. Fairly simple. Came to 190. I used to jump over two metres, so I knew I needed to put a bit more effort in. And so in high jump, there's a lot of stresses and strains and forces come on the body. So you run up in a straight line. You go into a bend. And during the bend, you prepare yourself to actually plant your heel. You put your heel down. 
like this, and then as you roll onto the bottom of your foot, you take off. Obviously, it being wet, that didn't really go according to plan because I'd gone off on a full run-up. I was going quite some speed. I used to run just under 11 seconds for the 100, so I was pretty much going flat out. Put my heel down, my heel went one way, my knee went the other, and my body went into the bed. I tore my cruciate ligament. Didn't completely snap it, so I could still walk around and stuff like that, but it wasn't in a good shape. Uh, kind of stupidly, I decided I wouldn't let the club down, and I did the 4 by 400 meter relay straight after it. Hobbled around in absolute agony, did the slowest time ever, something like 50-odd seconds. Um, but anyway, <coughs> so I did that, went to see the physio the day after, and he said, look, this is it, it's a write-off. Your season's gone. So forget about 1998, you're just going to have to concentrate on 99 and, and 2000. And he said, look, there's two options. You can either rehab, and we can't be sure that it'll be okay, or you can have an operation, and we can't be sure it'll be okay, because it wasn't completely snapped, it was just a tear. And I'm an absolute tar a girl, really. I, I, I hate hospitals, I hate knives, I hate doctors all, overall, to be honest. So I went for the rehab option, um, and that was probably, after not changing my spikes and my shoes, another big mistake because I got to the middle of the season in 1999 and my body just was not in the shape it was in 98. I could do everything in a straight line. I could do long jump, I could do high jump and hurdles. But the minute it came to high jump, and it could have been psychological, probably wasn't because I did have uh, psychologists working with me as well because I was quite high up. Um, it was just my body couldn't take the stresses and strains that I used to put on under to do the high jump and because it's such a high scoring event it really really affected my decathlon so I just went right I'm walking away from athletics and so I did in 1999 I walked away from athletics completely losing out on my dream and everything else at the same time I was at university and a couple of my friends uh, were with me and this they, they said oh we're going to do the university radio station do you fancy doing that and I was like you know what this could be a laugh so we, uh, we did all the training and they thought we gelled really well together. So they said, do the weekend breakfast show. So we were like, yeah, all right. Not realising we had to get up really early on a weekend and lose out on going on the piss every Friday and Saturday. Well, excuse me, <coughs> every night. Um, but so we, uh, we did the weekend breakfast show. It went really well. And at the end of it, I just thought, you know what, this is easier than having a job. I'm going to do this for a living instead. So I pushed myself really hard on, on doing radio. I did another what's called an RSL, which is a temporary licensed radio station. And I was doing the breakfast show seven days a week on that. And at the end of doing that radio station, I was asked by a, a station in Leeds called Galaxy 105, um, would I like to come and have a chat with them? So I went along and had a chat, and they got me in as what's called a tech op. So I learned all the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, so all the bits and pieces that people don't get to see, but keep the radio station on air. So on a weekend, I would sit there as a the network producer, and if the computer stopped, I'd press start again. That's how technical it really got. Um, so I, I did that for about six months. And then I was poached by a station in my hometown, back in Hull, uh, called Viking FM. And I was asked to go and produce and co-present the evening show with a guy called Ian. And so Ian was in Manchester. That's where he lived. And every day he would drive off to Preston, do a show in Preston on Rock FM, drive back from Preston to, to Manchester, then sit in his pants in his bedroom, and we'd do a radio show. I'd be in Hull driving it and we'd, on an ICN line and he would be sat in front of a microphone in his bedroom doing his show and eating curry and stuff like that. And so he, he was the main presenter and then I would just now and again just go, shut up here and we're playing a song and, and stick the song on and stuff and we'd just have a bit of banter and, and that kind of stuff. After about three years, Ian got really ill um, to the point that he had to stop working completely. His heart fell out of sinus rhythm and they just could not get it 
back to him being okay. Really, really scary time. Thankfully, he's still with us, um, and we're still good mates now. But after about four months, the radio station said, look, we can't keep waiting for Ian to come back. We're just going to have to put somebody else in the evening show slot. So that's exactly what they did, and we were jobless. Um, so I was like, fuck, what do I do now? Um, and so I'd been doing lots of stuff for them, but there was an internet radio station locally, and they said, oh, would you like to come and do a sh- the evening show for us? So I did, um, and did that for about two months, and then they went bust. And at this point, I was like, oh, for Christ's sake, what else could go wrong? I'd really fallen out of love with radio at the time, um, so I took a step completely back and went to work in an athletic shoe shop, as you do. And so <laughs> um, I was, uh, yeah, you work in radio, what else would you naturally progress to? Um, so I was selling uh, running shoes, basically helping people understand what pronating is and supinating, it's what the way your foot lands when you're running. And so I was doing that, and I, one day I was um, working with somebody, and they said, oh, I got a phone call, and they said, oh, this is uh, Yorkshire TV, would like you to do a TV show. I was like, okay, can you come and audition? So I went off and auditioned, and it was a live sports TV show. So there was me and a guy called uh, Steve Jordan, and we sat together, we did the news on, on the sport, and then people would text us in for the next hour to talk about what we'd spoken about, but their questions, a bit like a, a radio talk show, but without people talk, calling in. So we did that, and that was really great fun. It kind of reignited my passion for doing media as a whole more than anything else. So I started sending out my demo tape and, and stuff and thought nothing of it. And suddenly I get a phone call from this number, 01, well, it was 0635 at the time. The one wasn't even in the number. Um, and I, I went home and went into the white pages. This is how long ago it was. And I had to sift through the white pages to try and find out where this 0635 number was. came up as Newbury. I said to my mum, where the fuck's Newbury? And she went, I don't know. He said, neither do I. Um, so I rang them back and... Um, they said, oh, yeah, we're Kick FM, we're a radio station, and we'd like you to come and have a chat, have an interview. So I was like, yeah, sure, not a problem. Not realising it was a seven-hour train journey to get there. Um, for a 15-minute interview and then a seven-hour train journey back, yeah, 14 hours and 15 minutes for 15 minutes of chatting. I was not impressed. Um, but they, on the, on the train journey home, sent me a text message and said, can you come and do a, a two-week trial? So I said, yeah, absolutely, not a problem. Uh, left the store that I was working in two weeks later, came down south, and after doing one show, they said, right, we want to offer you the gig. So I was doing drive time afternoons on Kick FM. And so I did that for almost a year. And um, in radio, every three months, you get what's called radar, which is your audience figures. And they came through, and I was doing pretty good, um, to the point, actually, I was doing better than The Breakfast Show, which would be fine normally, but The Breakfast Show was the boss. I lost, my jo- I lost my job that day, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and again, thought, fuck, what do I do now? Um, and I got a phone call uh, from a friend of mine, roughly about the same time, actually, and I'd been doing some work for a, a company who do in-store radio, um, doing some stuff for Dixon's, do you remember Dixon's on the high street? So I'd been doing stuff for Dixon's and Dixon's Live, and some other services as well, and we were chatting, he, he rang me up on the same day, and I said, well, lucky you rang me up today. Um, I've just lost my, my job. Have you got any work going? He said, actually, funny you should say that. I've got probably two weeks' worth of shifts for you, which was brilliant because it paid more money than the, the kick FM anyway. So I was like, great. And he said, and also, you do radio production, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, they're looking for a producer full-time in the production department. The guy's on holiday, but when he gets back, you should have a chat. So I did the radio shows for two weeks. The guy came back off holiday, Steve. 
And literally within, again, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it offered me the, the job. I was like, brilliant, this is awesome. Everything's fallen back into place again. So I was uh, at that company for about 10 years, which um, most people would go, yeah, it must have been really, really great there. And it was at the start, after 10 years of smacking your head against a brick wall, eventually it's going to start to hurt. And um, yeah, after 10 years, I decided enough was enough. I wasn't really given the creative freedom I was allowed to, to have working in other places. Um, I'd worked with some amazing brands, though, during that time I'd worked with Burberry, I'd worked with Topshop, I'd worked with Ikea. And when I say I'd worked with them, I'd worked with Christopher Bailey, who ran at Burberry. I'd worked with um, Ingvar Klampiad, who came up with the, the ethos of Ikea. So I was working with the top, top people and learning all sorts of stuff from them in the process as well. So after the 10 years and deciding to leave, I'd um, started Perception Studios with a friend of mine about two years before we left. And we just I had a bit of a play, really, doing videos for people. We'd done some cool projects. I uh, filmed the Pro Evo Soccer World Finals at Old Trafford and all this kind of stuff. But we'd just played at it. And so when I left, we had a chat. And he said, look, I want to concentrate on doing my voiceover work. So I took the business away um, and bimbled along with all this information that I'd learned from these great gods in the, in, in the business world and implemented fuck all of what they taught me. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Um, basically, they taught me all this great stuff and for two years, I, I didn't do any of it. And then last year, my dad died. And it was quite a hard time. I went to networking about three weeks afterwards and did my pitch and then loads of people came over to chat to me afterwards, which is great, meant the pitch worked. But my brain just went, nah. and so I just I said, right, I, I can't do this. Took their cards, walked away, and didn't go back networking again for the next six months. Um, after six months, thankfully I had loads of work lined up, but after six months, um, my pipeline had, had dried up. I still wasn't in a position really where I felt I should go networking, but I knew I had to. And I had to think about, actually, what is it I want to try and achieve with my business? And... Being a, still a small business myself, nothing pisses me off more than when you first start and everybody's got their hand out for money because that's all we all want. Everybody's like, give me money, give me money, give me money. Oh, you want marketing? You need some money. You, you need to pay me for it. Oh, you want accounting? You need to pay me for it. Oh, you want this? You need to pay. And eventually you go, well, I'm just starting. I haven't got any fucking money. So the fact of the matter is, is I'm set up to fail. And that's kind of the thing that goes around your head at the start because everybody wants cash and you can't afford to give them cash. So I, I realised at that point that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to try and help small businesses understand that you can do brand building and it not cost you a penny because I was so sick and tired of seeing this handout culture that is going on with, with small businesses. So what I want to do is give you some simple tips that will mean hopefully you won't make the same mistakes. It probably won't be your fault anymore because you can move forward from this point. All those things that were my fault kind of got me to this stage anyway. Uh, so you know it's part of the longer story, it's part of the longer picture. Um, the first thing I would suggest everybody does um, is you all set goals. Did, who didn't set goals at the start of the year? It's probably So Navim didn't, but then it's slightly different because you work for a, a large business who probably have got goals. No, I had my business. Uh, Okay, so your business didn't set goals at the start of the year? No. None whatsoever? Not even, oh, I want to do GDPR? Well, no, I was already doing GDPR. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 In fairness, so. No, of course I had ongoing goals. So. Yeah, so, so most people set goals. Not Mabin, but everybody else. Um, so 
once you set, you set your goals, it basically you want to think about maybe setting a, a marketing calendar exactly the same way because you still want your goals and you still want to see what you're actually trying to achieve through the year and, and see that you're achieving certain things. So I, I suggest most people put together a marketing calendar that looks at what's happening in their business that they can talk to people about on their marketing. Because the first thing that I suggest to people is that you do a blog. So you take your marketing calendar and you tie it in with different aspects throughout the year. The other day I was working with um, a leadership coach and we were, we'd pretty much got her year sorted and then she said, oh, when, when should I start? And I said, actually, I think you should start tomorrow. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, write a blog today about Star Wars Day tomorrow. So it was uh, May the 4th. And she said, well, I don't really know where you're going with this. And I said, right, okay write a blog about the fact that the architect of the Death Star didn't see the problems in the Death Star because Darth Vader was such a ruthless, shitty boss they were more scared about Darth Vader than seeing what the problems are. And she said, what a great fucking blog! So she went off and wrote this blog and off she did. So that's what I want you to start thinking about is when you're putting your marketing calendar together is thinking about what's happening through the year that you could tie your content into. doesn't mean that the whole blog has to be about that content, but it gives you a bit more searchability. When people are looking for certain things, there's a chance you might pop up and interest them to read it. So once you've done your blog, most people uh, should stick to one thought. In radio, we had a, an, an old saying, which is one thought per link. You wouldn't go on the radio and go, it's 96.9 Viking FM, that was Jim Miroquai. What a gloriously sunny day. Let's all go play golf. By the way, what's black and white? And it's like a horse. It's a zebra. Have you seen these senders lately? It's a really sad story right now about this guy who's been stabbed. Wrong wedding. People just go, what are you doing? You're here, there, and everywhere. And that's the same with your marketing content, especially with your blog. One thought per blog. Stick to that thought. Have three or four real resonating points that will actually hit hard when people actually read it because you're going to take those out turn them into bullet points and use them for your Facebook Live. So I have a little cheat sheet which I'm more than happy to send you all if you want a copy of it or you can go on my website and you can get it uh, for Facebook Lives. And basically I, I explain to people that the process should be you do your 40 second pitch, which you do every single day, week in, week out, and maybe extend it a little bit to about a minute, a minute 30, because you can do, you're not kept to a time limit. Then you do your story, your blog, your bullet points in the middle, and then you do a small call to action at the end. Don't sell in the call to action because there's nothing worse. I was talking to a chiropractor the other day and he was going, oh, so how do I, I want to do stuff about people mowing the lawn. And I was like, that's great. He said, so how do I tell them to come to me to get themselves fixed? And I went, you don't. You tell them how to not get injured in the first place because you're giving value then. And then you don't sell, but you say, if you've got any more questions, come and ask me. Give everything for free. This is what I do. Give everything for free. Always give value, don't sell. So once you've got your Facebook Live and you've done that and it's going to be about 10 minutes long, which sounds a long time, but you take one and a half minutes off the front and one and a half minutes off the back, you've only got five or six minutes in the middle. It's not that long. I'm going for, God, you've been listening to me for 16 minutes already. Uh, so it's, it's dead simple. Uh, so you've done your Facebook Live. There are some tips that you can um, take from my content online that will help you get over any fear of maybe doing it or talking to the camera or actually talking to people rather than at them. And so once you've done your Facebook Live, you can repurpose it, which means you can take the video off and you can edit it and you can turn it into short form content. You can turn it into memes. You can turn it into podcast. And then you do it all again. So you do this 52 weeks of the year. You do 52 blogs. You do 52 Facebook Lives. You take all the content off. You're getting three or four videos out of it, which are maybe a minute in length, which you can put all over social media. You've got memes that you can take off and put all over social media. Just be careful where you're putting it. Make sure it suits the audience you're talking to. 
you wouldn't put a male-heavy piece of content onto Pinterest because Pinterest is female-heavy. They're going on there to buy something usually, or at least they've got in the frame mind of, mindset of, I want to buy a new table, but I want to see what else is out there that's available, which is why on Pinterest, um, and any product which puts a, a price on it actually performs about 30 or 40% better than people who don't put the prices on Pinterest. So you just got to think about what you're putting in places. And one area I would suggest for everybody right now, and this is a shocking statistic, is LinkedIn. Of all the people who use LinkedIn, only 1% are using it on a daily basis. It's shocking, absolutely shocking. So it's a market for everybody to just jump in there and go, hello, I do this. So that's really what I want you to take away from this is that you can make just those two pieces of content and absolutely run with it. But you've got to be willing to put in a bit of patience, hard work, and happy to give value. Don't sell, just value all the time. Any questions? Go for it. That's brilliant. Um, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. I seem to see more of the videos on Facebook. Is LinkedIn appropriate to do? Absolutely. Do not treat LinkedIn like a business website anymore. Within the next three to four months, it is going to be emoji-filled social media. Trust me. So really start using it that way. Talking to people. It doesn't all have to be inane crap. That's what, that, that is what Facebook's for. But start using it like social media. It's called social media for a reason. The emphasis is on the word social. So start being social with it, talking to people. I work with people and I say, work on a rule of a third. So number one third, share your own content. Another third, share other people's content. And then the final third, talk to people. Because especially on Twitter, nobody uses it that way anymore. So when you reach out and actually chat to people, they're like, oh my God, somebody's actually talking to me. And they come back to you. Use the search functions on, on social media. Nobody uses search functions properly. So you go onto social media, for example, and Nabim could go onto Twitter and go, I've got a GDPR problem. And just search that. And you would probably find thousands of people going, shit, I've got a GDPR problem. What do I do? And you just reach out and you go, I'll tell you what, I run a GDPR company. I can help. And they're just, oh, right, okay, well, how can you help? And then you, you talk, you, you build a relationship. But use these functions that are there for you because what's the point in everybody having the handout if you can do this stuff for free? Down the line, yeah, you want to pay, pay people to do it because you haven't got the time to do it yourself. But when you're just starting out, just, yeah, just crack on, do it for nothing. Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. You, didn't mention, you didn't mention uh, G+. Google+. Plus. Well, I, I can do. Um, I mean, when you tie it in with your YouTube account anyway, um, because one of the things I suggest to people is when they take their content to repurpose off Facebook, they put it onto YouTube. So then that ties back into your Google Plus account anyway, um, as long as the two are actually correctly connected. Obviously, Google Plus then can tie into Google My Business, which means then you can find the business on the map settings. Um, a nice little tip to try and rise you up above your competitors in Google. Uh, search rankings is uh, get people to give you a five-star rating or at least a rating of some sort. If you search what you do on Google and the people who are in the local area, the chances are they don't have any ratings at all. Most people don't get people to do it. So get people to do it and you'll actually rise up in the map rating. You know when you do a Google search and the map pops up with three people underneath it? You can't beat the people who are paying for it unless you want to pay for it yourself. And it depends on what words you want to use as to how much money you want to spend. But you can still beat the algorithm a little bit by getting people to give you a good ranking on their Google. But yeah, with, with, with video, obviously that goes into your Google Plus page. You can run polls and everything else on Google Plus as, as just the same as you can with all other social media channels. I'm not a massive fan of Google Plus personally, um, but I do use it again just to 
keep sharing out the content. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer that if you can remove the friction of problems, just one minute, okay. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer if you can remove the friction of people not wanting to digest your content, then you, you can kind of win, really, as long as you've got the patience to do it. So people who don't want to read a blog can watch a video. People who don't want to watch a 10-minute video could watch a one-minute video. People who don't want to do any of that could take a look at your photos on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook. If they don't want to do that, they can listen to your podcast. And if they don't want to do any of that, fuck off and I'll go to the next person. <laughs> <laughs> because then you've just removed everything that they can digest. Do you think people overanalyze and they think what people are going to think of you when too many people aim for perfection and it's one of the things I've talked about in the past on my Facebook lives is stop looking for perfect I've got clients who just drive me through the fucking wall because they're just aiming for perfection like you are doing a Facebook live it is not going to look perfect but if your content is good and of value to people then they'll want to listen if your content's shit then you're still going to be shit but at least put your, yourself out there in the hope that your content's going to be of value to somebody. Because if you're not doing that, then nobody can listen to you anyway, can they? Mm. Imperfect content for about 70% more engagement at the moment. Exactly, yeah. People like to see the human, the human side. Yeah. It's like that guy on the BBC when his kids ran in in the background. Yeah. yeah. He got more publicity exactly. from his kids running in than if he did a perfect yeah, talk. Yeah, perfect talk, yeah. It's, it's the human element. People don't want you to fail, but they don't mind if you make a mistake. Unless you're doing other certain things where people want to rip into you, like stand-up comedy. Yeah. In which case, you've got to have a good heckle. What do you think, Simon? What is the best social media platform for organic and what's for paid? I think it's one and the same, personally. At the moment, I think it's Facebook. So many people are like, oh, my audience isn't on Facebook. Bollocks. Your audience is on Facebook. Trust yeah. me, they are there. They might not be there as a business, but they are there as an individual. And as long as you target your adverts correctly, spend your £10 a week, or whatever it's going to cost you, which is next to nothing, because Facebook is, like, so cheap. It's, like, undervalued marketplace, so use it. Um, you will talk to them. Well, do need to move on so quick. Uh, um, question. The videos, do they get, generate generally as many click-throughs or more watch time? Um, it's, it's an interesting thought. On Facebook, um, there's... Lots of clever things you can do in the background. So you can actually take, you can use um, Facebook to actually look at the analytics of how long somebody's watched for, and then you can create an ad campaign that goes back to them and go, oh, I noticed you only watched 30 seconds of my 60-second video. Do you want to watch the other 60 seconds? So you can, you can, um, you can do that kind of thing. Um, it, it depends on the content and where, what you're trying to direct them to do. With, with Facebook Live, all you're wanting people to do is just consume your content. We are going to have to move on, otherwise we'll this was a Perception Studios production.